0: Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to The Tom Sumner
3: Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and uh, we've got um, a variety of stuff to be sure today. Um, Coming up in Hour 3, I don't know what to tell you. um, The guy is uh, clearly an expert in uh, history, political and otherwise and uh he's written a book called the human calling um let's see uh 3000 years of eastern and western philosophical history by dofan he who was born in china in the 1950s and um ended up here in the united states about 7 years ago and he talks about East and West, and the history of both, and it's pretty interesting, but he's very hard to understand, so you're going to have to uh, put everything down (laughs) and concentrate for Hour 3 of our 3-hour tour, or the third half of our 3-hour tour, as I often call it, and um, in the middle of our 3-hour tour, we're going to talk with the Honorable Alan B. Clark, now he is... um, Let's see, what is uh, his actual uh, title and claim to fame? He's written a very interesting book. Oh, I know what it is. This is really kind of sad. He's a severely disabled war veteran and retired army captain. And he uh, has written a book called Soldiers' Blood and Bloodied Money, Wars and the Ruling Elites. And it's pretty interesting, the study he's put into, you know, who's behind the motivations to go to war and the decisions to go to war and who puts up the money for it and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, and that's a very interesting conversation. And then we're going to talk with uh, a really delightful uh, novelist. Stacey Lee is her name, and she has a, a series, the Nubble Light Series which actually is about a um, <clears throat> a lighthouse and uh... she's got a whole series of books i think she's three or four deep into this series that all take place in or around this uh... this lighthouse the uh, newest is ten percent of my heart the one before that never in a billion and uh... Of course, there have been others as well. Her name is Stacy Lee, and she'll be joining me coming up in about a minute and six seconds. In the meantime, I'm not sure if I have time to read this all in here, but uh, I'm suspending production of the Tom Sumner program indefinitely, effective Friday, September 2nd, 2022. There are several reasons, but if I were to pick three, they would be declining uh, audience, decreasing uh, revenue and uh, and the state of public conversation in our country which is becoming meaner and less informed as for what's next I'm not sure I'm taking suggestions so far I've had people say you should run for office or write a book I'm leaning toward binge watching the A team but uh well I'll keep you informed. In the meantime, there's an archive being developed of the Tom Sumner program at the Genesee County History Section of the U of M Flint Library. More on that as it uh, as it evolves. In the meantime, here's uh, Stacy Lee. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner program. My guest this hour is uh, the author of three Amazon best-selling books that make up the Nubble Light series. Um, the, uh, fourth installment is, uh, is just out we're going to talk about that and, and some of her background cause it's kind of all over the place, but we'll find out more about yeah. that when we talk to, uh, bestselling author Stacy Lee, who joins me by phone. Good morning, Stacy. Welcome to the show.
2: Good morning. Thank you for having me.
3: Um, this is, we're talking about 10% of my heart, which is the, the fourth uh, book in the, the Nubble Light series. Um, there's a couple things that I want to ask about. That I always ask writers that, uh, that do series, if when you started with the first one, the 100th time around, were you planning it to be a series or did you get to the end of that first one and think but wait there's more
2: Exactly I I um you know I set out to write my first book which had been a lifelong dream for me um, so just getting that first book written was top priority and um when I finished and started editing that's when I started having lots of ideas four other books that could continue to tell the story of this New England beach town and its history. And um, yeah, the fourth one just came out and I'm working on the fifth.
3: Is that where the series title comes from? The Nubble Light?
2: Yes, yes. So the Nubble Lighthouse, it's a historic lighthouse. Um, It's on York Beach in Maine, um, specifically Cape Nettick. And it's this quaint little lighthouse but it sits up on this big hill and it just has this massive humongous presence even though it's just so tiny and it's so important to the people in that community and the history there is really phenomenal
3: and and i want to mention the uh the other two books um well, I'll just I'll just read all four. The hundredth time around was the first in the Nubble Light series. Then was Future mm-hmm. Plans, Never in a Billion, and Ten Percent of My Heart, um, which yes. is now the the fourth installment. Will there be a fifth?
2: Yes, yeah. So the neat thing about the series is the books stand alone. Their stories, the first three aren't actually like they don't follow each other like a traditional series they're standalone stories that complement each other with characters that pop in and out but in the fourth book the the main characters from the first three are all together for the first time so it's really not until the fourth book where it all comes together so there's more than enough room to continue the growth the growth of the plot and develop these characters
3: does that suggest that you should read some or all of the of the first three books before embarking on the fourth, or does it stand alone too?
2: Um, well, it's funny. Everyone has different. My readers have different opinions about that. Some <laughs> say you have. <laughs> some say you have to tell people to read them in order. I mean, I'm I'm myself. Like if I'm watching a TV show, I have to watch it in order. I can't miss a second. I need to know what happens. Um, but you can read the first 3 not in order but by the time you get to the fourth if you haven't read the first 3 there there will be lots that you do miss
3: now i mentioned when i was introducing you that you have um a, a variety of of things in your background you've taught mm-hmm. elementary school you've uh, you've got a master's degree in christian ministry And Mm -hmm. homiletics, or homiletics, what, um, Mm -hmm. from Liberty University, what is homiletics?
2: It's the process of learning how to write, or the process of writing actual messages for pastors. Oh. So it's writing, it's writing for, it's, yeah, it's writing, um, it's writing for messages that will be preached.
3: Now you also have a um, master's degree in Leadership and Administration from Jones International University. what Where were you going and and how did that turn into being a writer?
2: So writing has always been my number one goal since I was very little. I remember sitting in second grade. And I want. I had all these stories that I wanted to tell, and I had this teacher who didn't stop me from being creative just because of grammar and punctuation, and just being able to get the story ideas out uh, was always easier for me than the actual writing. So that's what I always wanted to do. Um, when we started looking at colleges, my father said, "I am not." going to pay for a career in creative writing. And I said, okay, I don't blame you. Uh, (laughs) That's fair. That sounds like a
4: dad
3: thing.
2: Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that's fair, dad. And I also, I've always loved working with children. So an internship opened up my sophomore year of college and I did an internship in a fourth grade classroom and fell in love. So I did that for 15 years. And at one point I was only teaching writing and social studies to fourth graders. And that was my absolute favorite. Um, And then I had a principal that was my mentor. And at the time, when I graduated undergrad, you didn't need a master's to teach in New Hampshire, but mid-career you did. So he encouraged me um, because I was a leader in my building at school. He encouraged me to pursue the leadership and administration degree. So um, I did, and I mean, I have, I have kids, and at the time they were, they were really little, and I did interview for a couple of administrative positions and almost got one, and I was kind of thankful I didn't because I really don't think it would have been for me, um, and it was shortly after that that my husband and I became pastors in our church for a little while, and I, I enjoyed speaking. I enjoyed speaking at the church and so didn't he, so it, it was just a, a major career shift, like something new, and I learned a lot from it, and I, I got some public speaking experience, but I also worked for my father, who's an attorney, Um that's not in my bio, but I was his event planner um, following the, the church days, um, and I planned my dad's estate planning seminars for him, and I did that while I wrote on the side. And it wasn't until about six months ago I started writing full time.
3: And now you mentioned that you used to get ideas for stories, um, you know, even at a very early age. And I'm fascinated by the creative process. How mm-hmm. does that How does that work for you now that you're writing full time? Are Are you coming up with stories and then casting them like like a movie or? Do you come up with characters and, and then imagine what kinds of things would happen to them?
2: That's a great question. So a little bit of both. Um, so typically just in my day-to-day life, I, I, it's almost like I can't shut off the the imagination, which has kind of always been a blessing and a curse. I have quite the imagination. Um, so I am always, like, listening and watching and and jotting down ideas. And that's when I get like the main idea for the stories, whether it be like at the gym or driving, driving in the car or taking a shower, like the big ideas pop in my head that way. Um, And then I imagine the characters. But one thing I do when I'm finished one book before I publish the next one, I don't allow myself to publish the book without coming up with at least the storyline and the teaser for the next book. So, it holds myself accountable. Um, so, at the back of book three, you see the teaser for book four. I wrote that um, prior to publishing book three, not really knowing who the characters were or what the details would be. But I do that to hold myself accountable for the next book.
3: And and how did how did you make the decision to hold yourself? to that are are you a fan of serials <laughs> uh, <laughs> with know, cliffhangers and you know tune in next yes. time for you know
2: yes I do my books my books do have um every book has a twist and so far nobody has ever been able to figure out the twists in any of the books and that I do I do enjoy that and really though for me like Um, personal accountability is really how I function. Because for teaching so long, for 15 years, you know, teaching is, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. And it was the, I mean, teachers are the hardest working people I know. But you don't have control over your day. Somebody is telling you when to eat lunch and somebody is telling you when to use the bathroom. So when I left teaching, it, it was almost like I got dropped on a desert island out of a helicopter, and I had to actually start figuring out my day on my own. Um, and it's very easy when you don't have somebody to answer to all the time to not get things done. Uh, so I just, I really started being really strict with myself about accountability
3: more with best-selling author stacy lee straight ahead hello out there everybody it's me tigger T-I-R-R.
4: that spells tigger and don't forget to remember to listen to tom sumner program
1: on account of because he's so bouncy <laughs>
3: Joe Bye from the Blue Lions.
6: Dan
0: Sterling.
6: Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zonic. actor,
0: comedian Jonah Napode. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow,
3: State Senator Jim Antonic. Comedian Brian McCree.
0: The unknown comic
5: Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know
3: Tom's my friend.
4: You have always got great questions, and you know the material and you and you care about it, and it's uh, it's um, that's impressive.
6: Nice to be with you, Tom.
4: And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all.
6: and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org.
2: Hi, I'm
0: State Representative Sarah Anthony. Our community and communities across the country are seeing a rise in gun violence. Firearm injuries are one of the leading causes of death among children. Parents, it is your responsibility to know where your firearm is at all times. First, lock your gun away somewhere safe. Also, make sure that it is disassembled and unloaded. It's up to us to prevent gun violence in our community.
3: This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with best-selling author Stacy Lee straight ahead. Some, somebody asked, and, and I always joke that, you know, sadly it wasn't me, but somebody asked uh, Stephen King if he wrote mm. to a muse or to a schedule. And he said, mm-hmm. oh, always to the muse. But fortunately mm-hmm. the muse shows up every morning at 9 o'clock.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that, that, and that's. Tricky. I mean, and I I juggle a lot. I have two kids. Um, My son will be 15 in October and my daughter will be 12 in September. And they need me in different ways than they used to, whether it be rides or emotional support. And, you know, I have a family and there's a lot going on. So just trying to manage household things and you know, taking care of myself along with all of this, it, it does require a lot of um, planning. So like every Sunday I have the calendar and I say, okay, this is what I'm working on. So if I'm brainstorming a story or promoting a book or even editing, I have more flexibility. So I can handle more of my own responsibilities. But if I'm writing that first draft, it's, it's sort of like a different lifestyle for anyone in my life because I'm kind of I need to ask for help. You know, I tag <laughs> in my mom, my husband knows. Okay, she's writing, so I, she, I need like lot, like large blocks <laughs> of time, like three to four hours. Because I, when I wrote the second book, I was trying to write during the summer and drive my kids everywhere, and nobody was happy. <laughs> Dad,
3: mom's writing again.
2: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I mean, I can, I can, can, like, yeah. My daughter was in a play, and it was an the place where she practiced was forty five minutes away. So Mm. I would drop her and then sit at a press cafe, and that was the third book. I was trying to write the third book at a press cafe with my headphones in, and I did, I did okay. But I finally, I said to my husband, I was like, so. We need to we need to reevaluate cuz he was driving my son to football. So which was probably was what to, 10 minutes away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Different hours though. Yeah, different hours. But I I finally said, "You know what? I'll I'll sit at Press Cafe and I'll do work, but I'm not going to try to write this book here with all this noise." So I started to actually for that book stay up all night. And try to like nap during the day and I actually completely shifted my hours to like overnight because I could sit at my computer with my glass of wine and nobody came in. I was like, okay, this is amazing. So I work from home um, but even the dogs are sleeping at night so it's good. It was good. But I've kind of gotten a little bit better with the balancing of it all.
3: Well, that's that's a tricky part and writing for most people is a, a very solitary thing. And I've talked to a number of writers who did what you were trying to do right in a cafe and they're fine. Mm-hmm. With it. You, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's where they do their work. And then there are mm-hmm. some who just tuck themselves away in a home office and, you know, don't come out for days. Yeah. A and it's
2: a, it, 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 it depends on the, the stage of the writing process. Like if my ideas are out, I'm Okay. Like, both of my kids work out at the gym twice a week, and I sit in the cafe at the gym with the music blasting. And I have my noise-canceling headphones in, and I'm blasting my music over that music, and I do it. Like, I I wrote a screenplay for the first book, and that's how I did it at the cafe at the gym. So, I mean, you know, sometimes you have to, but it's just, if the ideas aren't out yet, I I don't like to do that because I feel like I'm not being fair to the story.
3: And you said a little bit ago that you, um, you enjoy speaking and, mm-hmm. and being out and talking to people. And, you know, some writers are really funny about that. Writing is a very solitary kind of thing. And, and some writers aren't really keen on the, the promotion part and book readings and interacting with, with people. Um, but it sounds like you might really enjoy that part of it.
2: I do. I do. And I I get nervous. I think that's normal for anybody, but it it has been really fun. And I'm actually working on also a, um, a series for children. And part of why I'm doing that is so that I can get back into the schools and maybe do some readings and maybe some workshops with the kids. Oh yeah. So that that's something that I'm I'm really looking forward to because although I do I appreciate the quiet that comes with this career for sure. Uh, I do like people.
3: Now you mentioned that you um you get ideas all the time that they're always popping mm-hmm. up and I'm I'm always really fascinated by what inspires those things and how you keep track of those things. Um do you have a a a journal or a friend of mine uh, who's a songwriter in Nashville has uh mm. these um spiral notebooks and he jots down chord progressions and lyric ideas and stuff mm-hmm. he calls it his boneyard um, <laughs> that's awesome do you have something like that
2: i do it and um i do as much as I like paper to pencil um as much as I, I value that with the lifestyle that I live, it it helps me to just, I have an app on my phone that I, I downloaded. It It's called Writer or something like that. It's like a notepad. And I just have different tabs. And what I do is I'll, I'll have my ideas and I actually just open the notepad and I'll dictate my ideas, sometimes in the car or, um, you know, and it's funny because, I am a people watcher by by nature, but it, if you just, like, watch people and listen to what they're saying, like, it's hard to not have ideas for me because everybody is so different and everybody comes with different past experiences, especially, you know, now that I'm on the fifth book, I have to kind of venture out not so much to only what I know.
3: When you talked about, um, you know, uh dictating something into your phone you know mm-hmm. to to keep mm-hmm. notes i all of a sudden this picture of michael keaton from night shift flashed through my head <laughs> with him with that little handheld recorder going yeah call yes. call starkest <laughs> yes <laughs>
2: Yes, that's exactly it. It's it's the um it's the it's the cassette recorder of 2022. So. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> are
3: are you when you write um do you have an outline or does the story uh, um almost tell itself once you start writing?
2: I definitely have an outline. I'm, I'm really serious about the pre-writing process and the brainstorming, um, I have I have software on my computer that I downloaded when I was writing the screenplay. It's called Final Draft 12. And what I do for my pre-writing ever since I purchased the software is I open up, they have this blank canvas um, for the beat board. And I, I make almost like a whiteboard on my computer screen with, um, you know, what every chapter, what will happen in each chapter, character, bio, setting. And then I have other diagrams with characters from previous books. How are they connected? Because they're all connected somehow. And I I definitely go into it with a set of specifics that, that need to happen in the book. But then when I start writing, sometimes it all changes. Um, There's a plot twist in one of the books that I didn't even come up with until three quarters of the way through and I was actually like driving and I had to stop and I was like, oh my gosh, so and so did so and so and I went home and I deleted things from previous chapters and changed everything because this is what happened in the story.
3: In the books that you've written and, and in your writing in general, um, how important is place and are they all set in New England?
2: Mm-hmm. So in this series, they are all set um, at the Nubble Lighthouse. Each book has a story of a character that either started their lives in York and left or ended up there, whether they left for college and came back or moved away and came back or lived there and moved away, um, that's definitely, like, the foundation for the story. And the the cool thing is, in the first three books, the action toggles between present day and sometime in the past. So you see the Noble lighthouse and this fictional cottage I created called the Anderson cottage. It has three floors. So that's the main focus. So in the first book you see like the Anderson cottage, who's on the second floor and the third floor in present day, but who was on the first floor in the forties. So there were people on the first floor in the forties, but in the second book you read about people on the third floor in the fifties. So it, even though it's the same place, it's different times. And different families that end up connected later.
3: When you're when you're writing um, in a different time, mm-hmm. do you have to do uh, a, a certain amount of research to to make sure that that the things that you make reference to are authentic?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I did a lot of research just about the forties when I wrote the first book and specifically um, the forties in New York. So during my research there for the first book, I met a lot of people and I met this waitress um, who was serving breakfast at the the hotel I was staying at and then lunch at the lighthouse. And so we started talking and um, she brought me and she brought me this book. It's this humongous thick book, like the biggest book I've ever owned in my life. And it was the <laughs> history, the history of York beach. And she had a book cover on it. It was so special to her. And so I used that. And I'm also on um, some Facebook pages, like um, historic, the historic society of the town. Um, I'm on the Facebook pages that the town offers just. Just to kind of be to be in the know, because I'm about 45 minutes from there. But there, this um, this local beach town, there's just so much history, and they care so much about their history. So that's been really neat.
3: You said you have written a screenplay um, mm-hmm. based on. Uh, uh, well, a screenplay version of your first book, I think, is is what mm-hmm. you were saying. And I'm I'm curious. A couple of times, you talked about readers seeing things in your books. Uh, are mm-hmm. you thinking very visually when you write?
2: Yes, yes. My books they're um, they're quick reads. Uh, my readers say that they like them because they're quick reads. And um, I think my first book has more narrative in it than than anything else, especially because it was my first book. The other ones, they tend to be more action-packed, and that's when I write the books, I see them as movies, partly because that's the plan at this point, um, but also because I worked with somebody who taught me how to write the screenplay. and. When we worked on the screenplay, he he helped me to be able to think that way. Like, instead of telling, showing, um, which is something I used to work on with my students, but there are ways to do that so that it's easier to write the screenplay later.
3: Is there um, a genre that that fits your books or do your books fit a particular genre?
2: Mm-hmm. So, that's kind of the interesting thing about this series. Um, and it sort of happened by accident, but it's working. Uh, it's, <laughs> <laughs> thankfully. So, it's, I, would, I would classify it as women's fiction, but men do enjoy it. Uh, my father-in-law is probably my biggest fan. Uh, Men do enjoy it, and each story has different sub-genres. So mainly women's fiction, but especially in the first book, you see some solid historical fiction. Um, The second book was classified um, online through reviews as romantic suspense. The third one was said to be romantic comedy um, and coming – all of them are are coming-of-age stories. And the fourth one actually um, has, has a lot to do with adoption. And it's being very well-received by families who have adopted, which I didn't really even think about when I wrote the plot for it. But it's doing well in that genre.
3: In your stories, is there a... Um a moral or a lesson to be learned, or are they primarily, um, entertaining?
2: There's definitely themes, morals, and lessons to be learned in the books. Um, the first book is definitely forgiveness and second chances, um, hence the title, The 100th Time Around. Um, This couple, they say, like it takes it took them a hundred times to get it right. You know, Um, loving without hesitation is a big one for the third book, uh, the second book, the third book. Nothing is impossible, and the fourth one, follow your heart. And in through those themes, different characters experience things and even learn from one another. So you might you might have a character in one of the books kind of helping a new character go through something with something they already went through in another book. So you saw them go through it in the fifties in the second book, and then you see them come back in the fourth book and actually help the main character figure things out.
3: Well, that's going to be fun.
2: It is fun. I'm having Um, a lot of fun.
3: The characters um, and, and, you have a lot of them uh, are they based on people you know and does that cause your friends and family when you're out doing things to say this better not end up in a book <laughs> <laughs> there's a
2: disclosure
3: a disclosure or a disclaimer <laughs>
2: No, disclaimer that's right thank you disclaimer there's a disclaimer on the copyright page Uh um, no so you know i think what I've come to terms with for myself is that inspiration is real. So, you know, as a writer, you can't help when you're inspired. And there are certain people that have come into my life and inspired me. And there are relationships that I've had. I've had my heart broken. I was the one in high school with the boyfriend all the way through. And we broke up, went to college. Like, it's it's life experience, Right um but the characters they are definitely fiction um but they are inspired by people in my life but i do joke i do joke with people sometimes and i say be careful you're going to end up in my next book
3: are there um are there writers that have inspired you or perhaps uh um helped you find your own voice
2: Yeah, um, I have, you know, I have favorite books um, and favorite writers. I really like Nicholas Sparks and Emily Giffen. Um, Summer Sisters by Judy Bloom is one of my favorite books. And I like classics like Anne of Green Gables. Um, I started reading Colleen Hoover books recently, um, and I'm really enjoying those. But I would say, like, as far as inspiration goes, um, Teachers, My high school creative writing teacher's name was Mr. Weitenheimer, and he was very encouraging. Um, You know, I was a good student, but I was never A-level AP classes, and the only advanced class I ever took in high school was creative writing. I was in, like, kind of -of bottom-of-the-barrel algebra, but advanced AP creative writing, and with that, I wasn't very confident, and he kind of taught me that I belonged there. And i had I had work published in our school journal, and that was really neat for me. And I think that that's huge, and that's sort of why I I continue to be passionate about working with children when it comes to writing.
3: Now, you said there was definitely going to be a uh, a fifth book in the Nubble Light mm-hmm. series. Um, and, and then that begs the question, have you already sussed out a sixth book so that you can let the uh, (laughs) fifth one come out?
2: So I have some time there. (laughs) I have some time there because the fifth, the fifth book is still in the, the prewriting, the prewriting stage. But, um, I definitely have the ideas for the fifth. Um, And I do have, I I have this big whiteboard with all of the possibilities, because once you continue to go further into series, the series, everybody grows up. And there are children in the first book that were preteens. So I'm thinking eventually they will be old enough to have their own stories, too. So then the children of the main characters now will become main characters.
3: Oh, so you're looking forward to uh, the uh, the nubble light the next generation.
4: <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
2: Which is yeah. And it's funny because at first I was thinking movies, but I've been talking to my colleague who's been um assisting me and I think I think we might change directions and think about TV, sort of like a this is us kind of
3: Oh really? Angle. Interesting. Mm hmm. Interesting.
2: Yeah.
3: Well, I can't believe how fast the time has gone, and I really appreciate you spending this time with me and the listeners. And I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. My guest is uh, Stacy Lee. The new book is uh, 10% of My Heart. Do you have a website, Stacy, that you'd like to share?
2: I do. It's... Um StacyLeeAuthor.com, S T S-T-A-C-Y-L-E-E, A C Y L E E, com.
3: Well, Stacy. And I'm also
2: on social media.
3: Stacy, thanks so much for spending this time with me and uh, keep up the good work.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
3: All right. And uh, again, that was uh, Stacy Lee. The series is The Nubble Light, and uh, it's an Amazon best-selling series, and uh, the newest book is 10% of My Heart. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. (music)
4: Sumner
3: program.com. From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. Hi, this is Joe Biden from the Blue Highlands, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
4: This is our shot. Now it's up to you.
2: (laughs) Yo. Speaking.
6: Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again.
1: So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed it's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good but I need your guys help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it, you're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor? She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nussel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, the Bickerson. Like most married women, Blanche Bickerson is a romanticist. Having talked poor husband John into taking her on a second honeymoon, three o'clock in the morning finds Mrs. Bickerson in the lobby of a small hotel at Niagara Falls. Exhausted and bleary-eyed from the long drive, John Bickerson unloads the luggage outside as his wide-awake wife talks to the night clerk. Let's listen.
0: It doesn't really matter about the room as long as we have a nice view of the Falls.
3: Yes, ma'am.
0: I'll bet you don't remember me.
3: No, (laughs) ma'am.
0: Well, I wouldn't expect you to with all the honeymoon couples you meet. I was here seven years ago.
3: Is that so?
0: Yes.
6: (laughs) Well... Better luck this time.
0: Oh, we're still married to each other. (laughs) We're just having a second honeymoon. Do many people do that?
3: No, ma'am.
0: I wonder why.
3: I wouldn't know, ma'am.
0: Are you married?
3: No, ma'am. Arthritis makes me walk this way. Will you please sign the register?
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Last time we were here, we had to wait two days for a room. We stayed in a motel in Buffalo. Oh, here you are.
3: Thank you. Is that Bickerson?
0: Yes, didn't I sign it right?
3: Yes, ma'am. Mrs. John Bickerson and husband. Here's the key, room 318. There's the automatic elevator over there. We don't have any bellboys at night.
0: Oh, that's all right. I'll go out to the car and get my husband. John, where is he? He's not in the car. I wonder if he took the luggage out of the trunk. (laughs) Good heavens! John! Get out of that trunk, you darned fool! John! John! John!
3: Blanche! 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 Shut the door. There's a draft.
0: Come out of that thing.
3: All right, all right, all right. Don't pull. Ow! My hand!
0: Oh, serves you right. Pick up that luggage and straighten yourself up. Ow! I don't want you to go in that nice hotel looking like a -a ragamuffin.
3: It's a nice muffin. Um, Grab a couple of these bags, will you, Blanche?
0: No! It wouldn't look right on our honeymoon. Come on! Oh, my back.
3: Where's the bellboy? We don't have any at night. Are you the clerk? Yes, sir. Where's the register? I I want a room with a bed.
0: I've already signed it. You've got a room.
3: Good. Where are you going to sleep?
0: Come on, John. Stop dragging your feet.
3: I just drove 2,000 miles for a second honeymoon. Lead me to my room.
0: You had to talk like that in front of the clerk.
3: Oh, let me sleep, will you, Blanche?
0: I'd just like to go one place with you that you didn't embarrass and humiliate me. You've been unbearable since we left home. Keep going. In here? Yes. Pull the bags in so I can shut the door.
3: No windows? No nothing? How much do they get for this broken down room?
0: This is the elevator.
3: (laughs) Oh, well, push the button or something and get it started. I can't keep my eyes open another minute.
0: I was afraid this would happen. I'd hope that going on a second honeymoon would bring us closer together.
3: Can't get much closer than this, unless you throw the luggage out.
0: Every time I want you to be romantic, you're so distant, John. What is keeping us apart?
3: The brown suitcase. What floor are we on? I'm sleepy.
0: You're always sleepy. When you're not sleepy, you're humiliating me. I'll never be able to face that night clerk in the morning.
3: You won't have to.
0: Why not?
3: There'll be a day clerk. Which way is the room?
0: I don't know, and I don't care. I'm going to stay in the elevator.
3: Oh, come on, will you, Blanche?
0: Well, say you're sorry.
3: I'm sorry. Now, where's the room?
0: Right in front of you. 318.
3: Well, open the door before I collapse. Thank heaven. I gotta get some sleep.
0: Well, put the lights on. Don't stumble around in the dark.
3: Don't want to open my eyes. Just aim me at the bed and give me a shove.
0: I'm not gonna let you sleep until you undress properly and unpack the luggage.
3: Oh, Blanche, why'd you have to bring so much stuff?
0: You've got as much stuff as I have.
3: I have not. All I brought was my toothbrush and my overnight bottle.
0: You and that bourbon. You wouldn't take five steps away from home without it.
3: Well, I can still remember what. What happened when we got snowbound in that cabin?
0: That wasn't so terrible.
3: Oh, not much. I had to live for two weeks on nothing but food and water.
0: Don't throw my things around like that.
3: There's no closet. Where shall I put these dresses?
0: In the drawer.
3: Where do you want these drawers?
0: In the dresser. Fold up your pants neatly and put them under the mattress. Okay. Well, take them off first. John, what a fool I was to think you changed the second honeymoon was just as big a mistake as our first one.
3: Oh, no, it wasn't.
0: I'm so sorry you made me go on this trip that I could just die. I
3: didn't make you go. You shanghaied me. even tried to get me to marry you again.
0: Was that such an unreasonable request?
3: Yes. It isn't legal.
0: Why not?
3: A man can't be punished twice for the same crime.
0: Oh, that's too bad about you. How you shamed me in front of all my friends. And after I sent the invitations out, too.
3: Well, I wasn't going to have any formal a wedding and put out a lot of dough to feed your hungry friends and their squalling brats.
0: There wouldn't have been any brats there at all.
3: How do you know?
0: Because I said plainly on the invitation, Mr. and Mrs. John Bickerson will be married March 9th. No children expected.
3: Put out the lights.
0: I'm never going back to that horrible apartment we live in. I'm going to sit here and stare at the falls forever. Wouldn't hurt you to look at them either, John.
3: I see them every day on the shredded wheat box.
0: How can you be so cynical? I'm glad I have a little romance in my soul. Just the sight of those falls brings back memories.
3: Mm, uh,
0: yeah. Sit up, John. Look at that cascade. Doesn't it remind you of something? Yeah. What, John?
3: I think I left the water running in the bathtub.
0: John, you didn't!
3: Okay, I didn't. Good night, Blanche.
0: I never should have trusted you to lock up. Now I'm really worried. Did you close all of the windows?
3: Close the windows. You didn't
0: leave any lights burning, did you? Uh, no. Did you leave food for the cat?
3: Left enough for a week.
0: What did you leave him?
3: A six-pound tin of corned beef.
0: Did you empty it into a plate? No, no. Well, how do you expect the cat to eat?
3: I left the can opener on top. Stop worrying about the cat.
0: We should have taken all the animals with us. Poor little canary locked in the cage. Cat can't get out of the house. And who is going to feed the goldfish? Oh, help bet they're terribly unhappy.
3: Oh, they're not unhappy. They're having a fine vacation.
0: They are not.
3: They are, too. When I left, the cat was fishing.
0: Fishing? Where?
3: In the goldfish bowl. He was using the canary for bait. John, Oh, go to sleep. The canary and the goldfish are fine, and I wish the cat would drop dead.
0: Don't talk like that. I love that cat. When I get home, I'm going to enter him in a cat show.
3: What for? He couldn't win anything.
0: Maybe not, but he'd meet a lot of nice cats.
3: Go to sleep, will you, Blanche?
0: I'm not sleepy. Why don't you sit up and talk to me?
3: Blanche, people don't talk at 4 in the morning.
0: You talked until 5 o'clock on our first honeymoon. You kept reciting poetry and telling me how beautiful I was. Do you remember what you said, John? No. You told me your love for me was like a raging inferno. You said you had a fierce fire blazing in your breast like a live coal. What happened to it, John?
3: It's only a clinker now.
0: (laughs) How can you say such terrible things to me?
3: Blanche, I'm so sleepy I don't know what I'm saying.
0: I'd like to hear you say things like that to Gloria Goosby.
3: Can't I even go to Niagara Falls without Gloria Goosby?
0: The only reason you didn't was because she wouldn't have you. What? You proposed to her 15 times before you proposed to me. You big second fiddle, you!
3: I never proposed to Gloria Goosby, and you know it. And the next time I see her, I'm going to punch her husband Leo right in the nose.
0: What have you got against Leo? He's a better husband than you are.
3: I'm sick of hearing that too. Leo Gooseby is a cheap chiseling bum.
0: He is not. He's more generous than you.
3: Would Leo Goosby give you a new dress? No. Would he give you a new hat? No. Would he give you a mink coat? No.
0: Would you give me a mink coat?
3: No. Why should I give you anything? Leo wouldn't
0: screaming. You'll wake up the whole hotel.
3: Well, stop goading me. You want me to do nothing but fight, fight, fight.
0: No, I don't. All I do is ask for proof you love me and you go into a tantrum.
3: Blanche, what more proof do you want? I tell it to you a thousand times a day. I raise a new crop of freckles to spell out I love you. I painted it on all the Burma shave signs.
0: Somebody's at the door, John. Honey, honey, honey. Honey,
3: madam, this is not a beehive. It's my bedroom. What are people wandering around in the halls this time of night for, for for a Don't
0: be so crabby. It's probably some nice little bride who can't find her husband. Maybe he's lost.
3: He isn't lost. He's hiding. Put out the lights, will you, Blanche? I've got a vile headache.
0: Nobody told you to yell your brains out. Can I? If you just stand here and look at the falls for a few minutes, Your headache will go away and you'll sleep fine. Mm. Where does all that water come from? I once read it goes over at the rate of 346,000 gallons a second. John? Yeah? Are the falls higher on the American side or on the Canadian side? I don't know. I'll have to find out in the morning. What a majestic spectacle. I'm convinced there's nothing in the world like Niagara Falls.
3: Except you, Blanche.
0: Really, John? Why do you say that?
3: Because you never dry up either.
0: Good night, John.